0: right, guys, so today on Above the Standard, uh, we talk with Captain Nick Esposito with Bridgeport Fire Department in Connecticut. Uh, Nick is a captain currently assigned to the rescue, uh, but he spent a lot of time on the ladder, the truck, and that's what we talk about today. We talk about the truck, the mindset, the tactics, uh, what makes uh, a good offensive and aggressive uh, ladder company. And then we segue into some training and some other good stuff. Uh, but it was a phenomenal uh, episode. I love talking with the guy. Uh, so please uh, give it up for Captain Nick Esposito. With, uh, with me uh, today, Nick, you're uh, a captain. on Bridgeport uh, Fire Department in Connecticut. Um, so, Nick, I appreciate you kind of spending your uh, your Monday afternoon talking with us.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, and thank you for reaching out.
0: Yeah, so um, I, I first kind of uh, gravitated towards, um, I guess, you uh, in the first place with your Instagram handle, truck underscore tactics, and what we kind of talked about earlier on the phone was I was really kind of seeking more information about the truck and, and really everything around it uh, from from mindset to size up to placement, and I think, um, you know, uh, aerial placement or ladder placement is is certainly one of the, the biggest characteristics of, of the truck. But before we get into any of that, uh, uh, Nick, what what brought you to uh, Bridgeport and, and where are you currently assigned?
1: Uh, well, basically, I, I grew up in uh, southern New York, probably about um, 45 minutes north of New York City in a small town, um, and then I volunteered in my my small town. You know, a lot of fun. Um, my dad was a volunteer there as well. Um, we didn't have a lot of fire duty, but um, the neighboring community, which was the city of Peekskill, so I grew up in a little town called Verplank, New York. We went to the city of Peekskill <clears throat> um, on occasion for uh, mutual aid for structure fires there, and so we would always bring our aerial, which was a 1973 snorkel. Um, Kind of an odd piece of equipment, but um, what I learned at a young age with an aggressive group of folks, you can really do a lot of good work uh, with that aerial piece. So I kind of got bit by the truck operations bug then. Um, And so, you know, I just kind of grew up and and moved around a little bit and I I decided I wanted to get into the fire service. So um, I got on in the village of Rybrook, New York, which is similarly about a half hour, 45 minutes north of New York City. Um, and there we ran a 75-foot U1 rear mount quint, 2,000-gallon-minute um, pump, 75-foot stick. Um, fun truck to work off of. We didn't get a lot of fire there, but the fires that we did get there, uh, we always tried to get the thing set up. And the neat thing about the e one was the small footprint of their their aerial jacks. So uh, you could really, you know, stuff that rig in to tight places and and kind of make that Work, especially considering it was only a 75 footer. Um, in 99, I was fortunate to get on uh, with the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department, which is about, it's on the southern Connecticut shore on Long Island Sound. It's about, I don't know, an hour and a half northeast of New York City. It's kind of between New York and Providence. It's um, uh, Connecticut's largest city, which really doesn't mean much, but um, you know, so there. Uh, I kind of bounced around on an engine company for a while got moved a little bit. And um, I made my way to a ladder company. We have four ladders, two of them are sticks and two of them are buckets. And um, you know, we, you know, at the time we were catching a pretty good amount of firework and I was uh, working with a great crew and a very good, very experienced um, driver uh, who is, you know, in my opinion, one of the model senior men out there for sure. Uh, his name is Mike Candela. And just from that, uh, really watching him work and and seeing him get good spots and understanding that you just don't drive fast, toot the horn, wave to people, and and, and get a spot. You know, it really does take a systematic approach. And so, working with Mike um, really helped me get a better understanding of of truck work and how important the truck is, and more importantly, the the level of discipline it takes to really get a good spot. So that's kind of how I got from there to here.
0: So so where do you currently uh, are? Where are you currently signed right now?
1: Uh, right now I'm a captain, uh, and I'm, a, I'm assigned to the rescue company. Uh, we have one heavy rescue, um, and that's at fire headquarters in Bridgeport. Um, and that's where I am now. I've been there for a few years. Okay. So
0: when you made that transition, uh, from the engine to the truck, um, what, uh, outside of the tactics, uh, part to it? maybe we can talk about that in a little bit, but, um, outside of the tactics, what was a mindset change that you had going into, uh, into the truck uh coming from the engine
1: well let me just preface it this way first so uh the engine company that i was on the city kind of hit some hard times and they closed that engine so as a firefighter um i didn't have a home and i was fortunate enough to slide across the floor and get put on ladder five as a fireman um i was there for not really that long as a fireman um i I was able to get onto the rescue as a fireman. Most of my truck experience um, has been as a Lieutenant uh, when I was on ladder five. Um, And so just as a fireman, I think the big difference was we were always focused on getting the closest, most effective water supply and then pulling the one line that was the right flow and diameter and length for the fire. And so being on the engine, we were pretty focused as to our 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 goal and our task. Uh, once I went to the truck as a fireman, suddenly um, I had to learn how to handle a lot of different variables from what my job is based on the construction type. Is it a wood frame, single family dwelling, wood frame, multifamily dwelling, is it an apartment building, is it a commercial occupancy, things like that. Are we first due, are we second due, am I going to be forcing entry? Am I going to the fire floor? Am I going to the floor above? So quickly as a firefighter, I almost got overwhelmed with the amount of variables um, that I had to deal with, um, you know, as I approached those calls. So to me, that was one of the bigger differences um, going from the engine to the truck. And it certainly doesn't minimize the work of the engine. It's very important. Um, But, sometimes there's a lot of moving parts that will change how the truck is going to interface with the incident.
0: So one of the things that, that when we talked was uh, my, my interest in general is I, I, I come from a suburb, a suburban fire department about 35 minutes uh, north of Detroit. You know, we have uh, uh, kind of a a, a, a very vari- not variable, but a, a growing system where we're seeing uh, more, more full-time guys in the absence of, uh, what what used to be a historically a large paid on call uh, system, and, but even when we transition completely to full time, and I, I just foresee that happening. We're not trying to force anybody out, but uh, just the way the, the the community is right now, we we still find ourselves not really in that staffing level to dedicate ourselves to the engine in uh, the truck. And so either right. one, we could take. And I think uh, there's a there's a lot of people that share kind of that same experience where they might be assigned. To an ambulance, they might be assigned to a heavy rescue, they might be assigned to the, the ladder, And really, depending on your community uh, and those neighboring communities, you might have a very uh, different complement of aerial apparatus. And so uh, I was a, I've was been able to find quite a lot of information on uh, engine work. There's a ton of drills and a ton of um, information out there that I was able to, I guess, readily find available for uh for engine work truck work has been a little bit more challenging there's a couple key players in there that have kind of a a large presence either on social media or on um like fire engineering and but to to really get into some some training uh abilities or just information i just find it a little bit a little bit harder so when i found your your uh, instagram handle i followed it i followed it for a little bit and like i kind of mentioned just earlier like that's kind of what what uh want me to reach out to you and so when uh when you're when you're approaching a scene I, and i don't really want to i don't want to dumb this down too much but i think there, it, this is just kind of a, a an interesting um topic in terms of mindset and you can even approach this um as an officer as, as a lieutenant standpoint too uh when when you're called to a job and you're you're the first do ladder you know what's What's going through your mind? And again, you can you can reference this on f- first-level leadership as a lieutenant um, or, or as the, the, the driver operator or, or however you want to kind of answer it. Uh, but going through the mindset of just the truck coming up on scene, what's going through your head when you're dispatched to, uh, to a job?
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, I think um, there's a lot of things kind of um, that folks may not really realize that they're already taking into account. Um, you know, when we get dispatched, obviously I'm paying attention to time of day, the address, which should kind of give me an indication of the occupancy, is this going to be residential? Is this going to be commercial? Um, but I think when I think about mindset, um, it's, it's like the preparation phase. And so, you know, you'll get people say, okay, well, when, when does your size up begin? And, And the, the answer typically is when the bell hits. Um, what I like to say is that, your size up begins when you make that active decision that you are going to be responding. So if you are a volunteer and you're driving home from work and you say, hey, I'm going to respond tonight, if it's cold out, more than likely you're going to bring your night hitch inside and things like that. So you've almost begun your size up there because if you're getting into your house and everything's cold, everything's all buttoned up, that's, you, you know, you're starting your, your mindset there. When you say, hey, I got to go to work in the morning. And as you're driving into work, that's kind of when you start to make that that active decision um, you know, approach that, Hey, uh, I'm going to be responding soon. Jesus it's going to snow today or or it's actually going to be really hot today. So those things actually start your, your size up. Your mindset to me um, really is based on a couple, a couple things. One of them is um, it starts with your, your, your policies, whether SOPs or OPGs or SOGs, or if you don't have a policy. So like a lot of times when I teach, I ask folks pretty early on, you know, who here has, a ladder company policy, and very rarely uh, do I get any more than a, a third or a quarter of the room to raise their hand. They don't have a policy, and I'm actually okay with that because what I think is more important is understanding your leader's intent. Um, and so what does my fire department want me to do? What does my – whoever's going to be the, the the commander, is it going to be um, the, the captain that's riding the engine today, or is it going to be do I have a dedicated um, battalion chief, or is it my volunteer chief? Um, What do they expect of me? Um, And that helps me to build out um, my mindset. So I always say your, your SOP, it's a static document. It tells you what you're supposed to do given a standard set of conditions. Right. And then of course I always say to the fire gets a vote. So um, immediately you have to figure out how do I take these changes in the environment and make my policy work. And sometimes it's very hard. What helps that is when you understand your leader's intent. So if you have conversations with your command and you you try to get a, an understanding of what they expect from a ladder firefighter or a ladder company or a ladder officer, then that will definitely help make um, the decision-making process be a little bit easier because it will give you the focus. I think um, with that, um, one thing that we kind of – we'll lose sight of. And I think it's one of the, probably the most important things. It's something that we actually learned in fire one and it's what are our fire ground priorities, right? And so it's those three letters, the LIP. I think across the country, that's pretty much um, how it's taught your life, safety, your incident stabilization and your property conservation. So if our charge is life, safety is the priorities. And that really should tell us how best to utilize my skills or my apparatus or both to really try to make a, an impact on this uh, event to make it safer for the occupants, the property owners, and the other personnel, including myself, that are operating on that, that fire scene. So that's really kind of when I start off teaching, um, that's really kind of how I look at developing a mindset. I usually, that's kind of how I talk to my people too at work. And I think it really has done pretty well because it, it kind of gets away from the being hamstrung by a poorly written policy Or uh, an unclear policy, or an overbearing policy, it really does kind of um, make it a little bit simpler when we understand why we're doing those things.
0: And you mentioned it just a just a little bit ago. So when when you're talking about the mindset and responding, it's it's it's, and I think every fireman, for the most part, I think can can identify and really agree with the the part of the, the the response part whether it's 30 seconds or, or or eight nine ten minutes some some departments you know 30 minutes um it's a lot more than just uh, hitting the, hitting the queue going through the intersection and trying to get to that get to that you know that front spot there's a whole lot of factors that go into this and um you know I saw that you had some some classes I don't know if they took off with with COVID but um developing that, uh, that offensive mindset for an aerial operator. What's your mindset? What's your mindset on that? What, what, what do you take away? What, what makes uh, a good offensive aerial operator and why should we have it?
1: So I think what makes a good offensive aerial operator is understanding the responsibility, um, and understanding how, what we do or don't do will have an impact on the other folks that are responding and the incident at large. Um, you know, it's, it's so much more than, well, the ladder gets the front. Well, no, the ladder goes where the ladder has to go based upon, you know, some of the things that you just alluded to. Are you the first arriving ladder? Are you the second arriving ladder? Or if you're the only arriving ladder, but you're eight or 10 minutes arriving into the incident, right. Um, you should still try Um, to to get an uh, offensive and aggressive placement of position, So we always try to get two sides in the roof based upon um, what the situation gives us. Um, You know, if you work in a very urban environment, and I wouldn't say that mine is a very urban environment, but if you look at an urban environment, like say Manhattan, where you have everything is a skyscraper or a high rise or whatever, then you may be uh, trying to maximize your scrub areas. The amount of area that you can touch with the tip of your aerial, Right, And so that positioning may be very different from where if you're responding to a single family home with where I am, there's usually very little setback between 15 and 30 feet. So a lot of times we can quite well get two sides in the roof, and that really is maximizing your coverage. If you work in a more bedroom type community or in in my city, the north end, where there's more setback, then you may get two sides in the roof but you may really only get the front and the roof because there's so much setback. Your aerial can only reach so far. So when I uh, go out responding on a call, we always assume it's on fire. We always assume that there's a life hazard, meaning um, a civilian or an occupant. Um, And we always assume that it's going to be an offensive operation. It won't be defense. And as long as you start with that mindset, you're already in, I know offensive and aggressive can be uh, two uh, dirty words in the fire service. I don't take aggressive. I don't, I don't say offensive and aggressive to mean I want you to be reckless and dangerous. I want you to be offensive minded to think about those things. How can I best position to get um, a position, an elevated position because the forceful entry team might be having a hard time getting into the structure and I might be the first one to get to that second floor or, you know, if your department is very forward about vertical ventilation, I want to get there and get a really good position so I can get the best location for my vertical vent hole. So um, it's really having that mindset to be offensive and aggressive to support the operations the best you can. We're there to either, you know, so life safety and stabilization, property conservation. We were there to hopefully save lives and, and protect property so if we can get there and do things to allow either the latter company or the other companies to work um, quicker, and I don't mean faster as in reckless, but to be able to, to get their line in place quicker um, because we've provided horizontal ventilation or because we've provided vertical ventilation, and so it changed the conditions, and they're not crawling in from the front door. Now they're actually able to make it back to the kitchen uh, in, a, in a quick manner and they get to the sea of the fire faster. That improves conditions for everybody, right? And so that, that's that's what I always try to say is we want to be offensive and aggressive, and so we're always thinking about getting that offensive position and doing offensive type work and not thinking that we're either not going to use the aerial or we're going to work in a defensive posture.
0: How much communication is there with either either the, uh, the engine companies or at least the, 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 the bosses on, on, on those engine companies – to maintain and and then there probably a lot of it it comes down to training. I get that. But, um, how much either communication, mutual respect, mix of both, um, is there, um, just in normal day to day time, you know, incident aside, um, to make sure that, that you guys are, are maintaining, uh, the same effort given. And not to say that there has, there has to be this mutual, but there has to be, there has to be that mutual mindset for the engine company as well to, Make sure the ladder itself is going to have the right placement. You said earlier, you know, where you're going, you're going to pull up in front, and the the, the engine gets the front, and that's and, and that's or sorry, the truck gets the front, and that's all that's all there is to it. And so, um, how much, how important, and and do you have that 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 communication with those engine companies that not only are they going to set you up for the most success possible given the the situation and the and the setbacks and everything that's the the scene allows. But the, the, the truck company also, if they're the first to, they also be ha- ha- having to have a, a forward mindset as well to make sure that, that they position themselves not only to scrub the structure, but make sure that engine can get their placement um, in as well.
1: So um, in my city, we have eight fire stations, um, and so we have nine engines and four ladders. So it's it's difficult Um you know, a lot of times we say we're too big to be small, but we're too small to be big, and so because of that, sometimes we don't communicate as well as we'd like to. Sometimes the relationships aren't where where they probably need to be. We do know everybody on the job. We're about three hundred people, um, sixty four to shift, so it's not hard to know everybody. But I don't think um, that uh, we necessarily have enough um, communication outside of alarms where we're really talking about the tactics and the strategies and our mindset compared to their mindset. I think generally speaking, we're a pretty aggressive fire department and everybody wants to get the best spot that they can to do the best work that they can. Um, And it usually works out pretty well. Sometimes it it doesn't. um, And then sometimes the conversation can get colorful, but um, you know, we're not as structured as say like a a New York city where the engine gets the block first because they're going to reverse out. And then the, the truck has, the whole block you know to wherever they want to park typically um you know if i'm going to a district where the engine isn't coming out of my firehouse or if an engine isn't responding with another truck anyway um a lot of times the engine won't wait for the truck and they're going to do what they need to do um you know to, to hopefully you make a difference on the event a lot of our housing stock is pretty close together so um typically the engines will end up going right in and and fortunately we do have um ipads on the rig so you can watch in in real time where they are and then get a sense uh for how they've positioned also you know we kind of have an idea of of the tendencies of those companies they're going to do this or they're going to do that or who's working today oh he does this or he does that um and then usually. Um, can help you out. Sometimes there is communication where the engine will say, Hey truck, you know, you're gonna have to come around a, a long way, um, for whatever reason. Or um if we're second due, sometimes we'll beat the first due and so we'll communicate back and forth just because it's you know, traffic patterns or whatever. And then that'll kind of help um allow each company to set themselves up to be more successful that way.
0: Well I mean that um, goes so, back to it to your your forward thinking mindset even while you're responding. Um even though you guys might ha- not have a, a, a direct training interaction that talks about communication, you just said yourself that you know, you know the, those guys at those stations are on those apparatus that um, normally that you know they have this kind of operator, they have this officer on today, and he likes to do X or, or they're going to do Y. Because I know I, I I was on a couple of these jobs beforehand, so that goes back into what you were saying too about you know the constant assessment and and uh, mindset le- leading into. Um, the response part of it. And so, uh, kind of looking, looking at apparatus itself, um, where do you see, um, the uses, uh, we talked earlier, um, a few days ago and kind of joked, you know, the, 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 the quint is like this, this, this difficult, you know, in the, in the eyes of the fire service, um, Population the the quint is the the, the thing that's not uh, not good enough to be an engine not good enough to be a ladder um, can do one job pretty well but not not each job um, ideally so um, in terms of I guess the the complement of APRAS out there wh- you know is there is there a a, a, a helpful I don't want to say a helpful algorithm but how do you go into if if you were on the uh, assessment panel for a municipality. And they said, Nick, you know, we're 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 looking to get a new ladder. You know, we haven't uh, we haven't bought one before. We feel like we need one. Um, you know, how much uh, does the I mean, it plays a lot, but the 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 density of the population, their their breakdown of of population, commercial versus residential. Um, what are some deciding factors that you've experienced in your life, or just experiences that you've had on other trucks, where? A a, a a tower ladder might be less desirable than a quint or, um, or a mid mount versus a rear mount. You know, how how would I guess a, a department really gauge that outside of the realm of, we've always done this before because I had a, we you know we had a 1976 mid mount Sutvin, um, and with a, a, a bucket and we got a new one. Chief at the time wanted a a, a mid mount tower ladder and. Um, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're adapting the uh, the truck into a system and staffing level that we really should have probably populated that a little bit more around staffing population, um, you know, ability to respond. Um, so how, how do departments and how do chiefs and captains and, and everybody on those selection panels, how do they make those decisions when, when inspecting that piece of apparatus outside of the realm of you know, this is what we've had and we're going to keep doing it this way?
1: Right. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. um, And I don't really know where the breakover is. A lot of it does come down to, well, this is what we've always had. Or um, if a department has never had a ladder truck, a safe transition for them seems to be the quint because they still have in their minds, a a full pump. If the the pump is the same size and you know, the cross lays and all that stuff, or, you know, however they want to set it up um, it's, It's difficult to say we need a dedicated truck and and to have no pump, no engine capability if your department can't support um, the other operations. You know, ladder operations, rescue operations are support functions. The priority at a fire should be um, a a well-placed, proper flow, proper diameter line uh, in a, as fast as possible because as the first line goes so does the fire and so we we often lose the ability to see how important some of those other roles can be um, the, the, the rub is always like well we only have eight people on a shift and you know we put two on each piece. so why would we get a dedicated truck because, um, you know, one could be on a medical, one could be on an alarm somewhere else. And then if, if we only have two pieces left and one of them can't provide water, um, we only have four people, it, you know, it seems like a waste. Um, and so certainly there has to be a breakover point where you feel like you have enough manpower, where your operations can dedicate a, a timely result from those support functions. And I think that's probably a big part of it. You know, if you if you have a community that's you know somewhat fortified and and so forcible entry um, now really is a a, a a discipline that needs to be focused on, um, or you know if if you have a lot of multi-family uh, occupancies and then ground ladders are important, all those things can be done from an engine or a squad. I get that, but um, if you have the personnel to dedicate um, to that and the resources available, then maybe you start thinking about a dedicated truck. Um, you know, it's kind of hard because it's pretty much, you know, your urban or your suburban, larger suburban departments. Um, and it really does come down to manning and it comes down to uh, the number of assets. Because, you know, if I showed up, you know, it's, we have three North End firehouses that, you know, they have two or three or four minutes of alone time. You know, if I showed up with just a ladder truck and a couple two and a half gallon fire extinguishers, that's not a very good optic and it's not a good way to serve your community. We do have one engine that is a Quint you know, when it's got a 107 foot stick on it and, you know, the thing looks like a ladder truck. So you could easily position that thing as a ladder, still immediately go in and, and do all of those engine functions that a dedicated engine company would do. And then either the next arriving ladder company could use that aerial apparatus part or they could use their own. Um, it is difficult. And the places that are trying to institute a quint You know, I think they really have to look at their operations and and say, are we just trying to buy an elevated master stream? Are we just trying to buy something where we can get cats out of trees? Or are we really going to try to use this thing to be a ladder truck? You know, and and that's usually the hard part, because if you've never done dedicated ladder work or dedicated rescue work, um, everything goes off of a line. I search off the line, you know, I force the door on my own, I throw my irons to the side, and then I, I go in and stretch. It, you know for some folks they may not have that that view or that, that level of experience where they needed the dedicated truck and so it can be difficult there's i as far as i know there's really not like one breakover point where um you know this indicates that you people should now have a, a dedicated ladder truck you know it's difficult it's the staffing it's the mindset it's the, the location of your resources things like that
0: no sure absolutely and that's and that's kind of what i what i wanted to uh, kind of just throw it to you and you, you knocked out of the park. It, um, it definitely is that assessment of, is that balance? Like you said, I guess it is. Yeah. It is that mix of both. It's the, we've always done it before because there's maybe already some pieces in place that, that allow for, uh, either a smooth transition to a new piece of apparatus and training and development and, and maybe not too much on tactics, but also, um, there has to be this, this assessment on, on your staffing levels. Um, and so, uh, Cap, when you go out and teach, you know, you do teach the uh, the um, the the offensive aerial operator. What what else What else do you uh, do you teach? I'm sure COVID has kind of put a little kind of damp around that, or, or had you had to pivot on, on, on a couple of things. But normally, when you go when you go up to teach, what uh, what's what's on your 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 teaching agenda when you go out to uh, train?
1: um you know i really kind of focus on two different things one is um just a ground ladder class and where we, we pretty much talk about ground ladders and throw ground ladders and and we kind of get um we call it ground ladders after the academy we really try to teach people how to throw ladders like normal productive human beings instead of throwing ladders in a, in a way that's super safe so you don't kill somebody
0: listen if uh, stuff is fine Listen. Every ladder right. needs two to five people on it. Always, exactly, and, yeah. And everyone communicates. All right, ready, ready to raise high shoulder, and you you march it like you're carrying a boat. And David Goggins down the beach. You know, right. Sorry, keep going, keep going.
1: Exactly. And, <laughs> and the problem with that is it becomes so, um, so oppressive, and you're trying to remember your your calls and all these other things, and where do I put my hand? That we've lost focus of the mission. And the mission is well. We just took 20 minutes to throw a 24. But why did you throw a 24? Well, I threw it to, to rescue that that person. Well, they're dead now because it took you 20 minutes to throw it. Right. Right. And so you know, and I, one of the first things I say is we don't throw ladders just to throw ladders. And then we, you know, we throw one up, high five, and then go have a bunch of beers. The ladder allows us to go and do the good work that we're supposed to be doing, right? And and so that's the important thing to keep in mind is like the goal isn't the ladder throw. The latter allows us to be in a position to do the work that we're supposed to do, right? And so that's that's pretty much the approach that I take when we're doing our ground ladder class. When I do the aerial operator stuff, it's, it's really two-part. One is um, sometimes folks just want, you know, a classroom or a PowerPoint, and then we really get talking about it. Because I think what people learn pretty quick is that, um, and this isn't a shot at anybody, but I think what they learn pretty quick is like, holy crap, we have no idea what we're doing. Um, and and a lot of times when you when you take away um, a lot of the old wives' tales of you can't park here, you can't do that, you can't put the aerial here, you can't put this many people on it, um, and, and you really get them to understand like their specific vehicle, their own owner's manual. They realize that you know they've been doing stuff because they had that 1975 something, and that was the rule back in 1975. But these things are are so overbuilt now the, the, the NFPA has changed things. Um, the manufacturers uh, have really allowed these vehicles, even though they have a bunch of, you know, computers and and buzzers on them and stuff to tell you don't do things. They are now very strong, robust machines, and you really can get a lot out of them. And so the classroom environment really does get people to understand um, that they can use this this vehicle to do a lot of good things. And, and um, it's also to get them to understand that just because some other department somewhere is doing it a particular way doesn't mean that that's how they should be doing it. They should be doing it in the way that works based upon their operations, their policy, their level of comfort, their level of experience and their manning, you know? Um, And so that's what's really important there. And then, you know, if they want to take it to the next step, then usually what we do is we get out in the street, you know, we take their apparatus and we set up on real buildings. We'll block the street off. Sometimes it doesn't make the neighbors too happy, but it is what it is, you know, and then we'll just set up, on either specific targets that that they've highlighted that have been either a high call volume or a, a particular problem for them or um we'll just do it random and say okay you know go down here and set up on the fifth house on the right and you know when you just throw that out there i have no idea what the fifth house on the right is maybe there's wires on that side maybe there's not maybe there's a car in the, in the road you know and so it really does show them that There's a lot of thought that goes into that process. So when we're out in the street, we're really um, working on that um, that step-by-step process of sizing up your approach and sizing up your position. And in that way, um, you have a consistent way to kind of work through the progression. And then hopefully that'll allow you to get a successful position because oftentimes the best spot isn't available because of obstructions or, um, you know, civilian vehicles or other fire vehicles or whatever you know and so plan a is great until plan a doesn't work what's your plan b what's your plan c and so you really do open their eyes to different ways that they can set up and use that apparatus
0: you know i and i've talked about this before but um i used to think i was like a uh, i said i would say decent to okay fireman, and then i read um and started absorbing uh, the work of Andy Fredericks, and then I realized I was just a piece of shit fraud, <laughs> and um, I just like I, I realized how overinflated, um, one how overinflated my ego was, and how under um, accomplishing my training was to allow me to get to that level. And um, when you have those those students have that reaction of, um, holy shit, I, I I don't know what what I'm doing. Um, I one I I hate that feeling. I think everybody hates that feeling, but I but I know from personal experience that's the only time you're really gonna find that you're gonna come out of that training evolution a better person, um, and uh, and um, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, before he passed away, had this quote that said, "The more I travel and the more I learn, the, the less I know." And I find that th- is the same in the fire service. Is you, you sometimes I think you know we get this 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 sense of inflated ego within our own kingdom when we start to either be you know elevated by our peers or you per- you absorb personal information that might work on your level. And then you go outside and then you start to talk with folks and then you realize either they've been doing it that way for a hundred years and you are nothing um, or you're going to learn something completely new. And one of the things that, that I took away from Andrew Andy Fredericks that that I'm going to kind of reference kind in connection with what you just, you just said was um, you know, the best anti-bailout device is a properly placed hand line in the, in the nozzle. And... It's just this, this reconnection back to the basics of getting water on the fire, flowing adequately, stretching adequately, getting getting that first line set. Um, and that goes back to what you were just talking about with, with, with ground ladders. I, I definitely think they are a hugely um, undervalued piece of uh, equipment um, for for a large amount, amount of the fire service. And I think that is kind of what you alluded to. The, a lot of firemen are doing a disservice for the training that they're given initially in, in fire one and fire two um, on, on how to carry a ladder because all those instructors and the people that write those, 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 those training manuals, it's all liability and they don't want to, they don't want to have to risk that a fireman is, is injured or, or, or worse because improper, I guess placement on the academy. Right. So um, what, when you teach when you teach your ladder class the your ground ladder class you know what you know how do you frame it and what's your mindset on ground ladders are they undervalued like uh, or um you know because because from from my perspective you know you start you start telling folks that a 24 foot ladder is a single person operation you know if if they've only ever known that ifsta book they're gonna they're gonna fight you on it and say it's dangerous um and but through proper technique and especially practice, you can get to a a, a point where you can ad- not only adequately throw it, but while you're carrying it, having you know you can make yourself more deployable and resourceful carrying tools. So when you approach that ground ladder class, you know you know how how do you view the ground ladder and you know the ground? I I feel like the ground ladder to me on a truck is as important as a nozzle on an engine. Um, and you know what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So. Um... You know, I'll say this to, You know, um, my department does a good job with ground ladders. Um, I wouldn't say that um, we're the, you know, um, United States model citizen on on ground ladders, but um, we're we're good at them and we're getting better, which is important. Um, when I when I teach ladders, I you know, and I I say this almost in every class I teach anyway, but you know, the fire service, the the, the training model, um, and guys like Aaron Fields can certainly blow me away with with how they've gone into the analysis but the training model has always been we're going to tell you what to do all right i want you to put this 24 footer up and then i'm going to show you how to do it and then they they show this one rigid way and then that's it but very rarely do we ever talk about the when or the why and i think if folks understood better the when and the why that really rounds out that mindset and that understanding so um when should I be throwing this ladder? Well, when my aerial doesn't work, or when my, my, you know, it's just much faster to get my twenty-four to this point, or, or whatever. Or why am I doing this? So I'm doing this to have a secondary means of egress for uh, companies operating on the inside, or I'm doing this because I'm going to do VES, or there is somebody up there at the window already, and I'm just going to help them come down. Um, you know. And so when folks kind of have a better understanding of that, instead of you know, again, you know, what are we going to do or, or how are we going to do it when they understand the when and the why? It really does change the tempo because they understand now, oh, I'm throwing this ladder to get that person out of there. I don't have the time to do all these crazy calls and, and get a buddy and make sure that we're both pointed in the same direction, and then I'm kneeling on the right knee for when I lift and then rotate 180 degrees and put the ladder <laughs> on my shoulder, right? Oh, man, and So takes me so,
0: fu- so back.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> right, yeah, you know, and so the important thing is, like, you know, when we do two-person ladders, you know, the person at the butt, I have them do a suitcase carrier or a straight-arm carrier because the butt's already close to the ground. Right. And then the person on the back, they can either do they can carry the same way if they want or if they want to do a low shoulder or a high shoulder because the ladder's already at that angle where it's going to be ready to go when it's time to go. I don't need the butt person to call out commands because my <laughs> my the guy at the tip who's in the back, he's the caboose. He should know where we're going and why we're doing it. Right. So and then the other thing, too, is I have my butt person as they're looking start sizing up. Um, where they're going to throw the ladder, just like you would size up a stretch for on a handline. So if you know you're going to that second floor window and you know that, you know, if you're going to say your residential stories are 8 feet or 10 feet or whatever, now we're going to talk about the clicks, right, and the click system, if, if that's what folks want to use. And, you know, there's 14 inches between rungs, but we're firefighters, so we call it a foot, right? <laughs> so if my, my, my bedded length of my 24 is 14 feet and my working height is now 16, I know I need to do two clicks, and that shouldn't be hard to do if your only job at that moment is to throw the ground ladder. And so the other thing, too, is, well, where do you put the butt? Well, the books is a quarter of the working height. We now know, based upon all our PPE and the and the, the SCBA on our back, that our, our center of gravity is now beyond the midline of our body. And if we put that ladder up at that, that you know, 25 uh, percent, you know, quarter of the working height, we're actually standing upright and almost leaning back. So I'm a big fan of a third. Of the working height, right? So if my uh, working height is 16 feet, a third of that is, geez, I don't know, but it's somewhere around five feet, right? Or you can right. do six feet because it's horseshoes and hand grenades here at this point, and it doesn't matter exactly. You know, we get, you know, kind of lucky or lazy on the the training ground because the the concrete scuff where they've been putting 24s for the last 10 years, right? So there's no thinking involved. But now suddenly you throw all these other elements in. And they have to start thinking. So at three in the morning, you know, if you start with five feet away from your your structure or your target occupancy, whatever it is, that's a pretty good place to put your butt. And now, since the butt is already pointed towards the ground, you step on the beam that's closest to the ground, turn 180 degrees, and now you're the person at the tip has already got the ladder up on on an angle. They can just keep walking and slide that ladder up their shoulder. Oh, my God, the ladder's up already, right? We've put the ladder up before we even thought about it. But when we go to the training ground, it's all this crazy feet here, arms there, you know, uh, count this. And uh, it's just madness to me, Uh, hand over hand. And and, uh, it's just nuts. So, you know, my thing is, is really to strip away a lot of that stuff that they teach you in the academy. And not that it was bad at the time. It allowed us to learn in a safe environment. But you can you can do things so much faster if you just strip it away and just understand the when and the why right and and it it really does make ladders dare i say fun right and and easy yes they're heavy i get it um you know and then another thing that we concentrate on too is the difference between somebody who's five foot six and somebody who's six foot five right and and i can't teach somebody that's short how to throw a 24 by themselves compared to how i can tell somebody who's tall because they you know it's just so much easier so there's just a lot of moving parts with it but I just think if people stripped away a lot of this crazy, um, if the generic stuff and really just started focusing on the specifics of their event, I think a lot of the questions will answer themselves. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and especially too, just learning, you know, it, it might it might seem like pretty, uh, you know, a, a pretty easy piece of uh, equipment to learn. You know, it's 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 rungs and rails. It might have a couple spring hooks on it for the roof. It might have a slide section, um, but that's 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 a whole different beast when you come to to, to balance points. If you want you want to take it on your own. You want to throw it on ice. You want to throw it on concrete with ice. Um, you, it, it's the what I remember learning in the academy. Was this kind of repetitious? You're gonna pull that ladder off with your partner, and then you're gonna take it, and you're gonna run that butt end to the building. Then you're gonna walk it up, and then you're gonna bring it out. You're gonna step on that first rung. You're gonna point your little your your little hands like that picture says, and you know you're gonna extend your arms out, and you know as long as your fingertips you know touch there, you 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 have properly um, placed that ladder. Well, How much time does that take? And and after and, and after a while, like it it just doesn't. It, it was ingraining in, in, in myself at that time and in, in others that uh, we, we we are te- we are we aren't teaching our membership to adapt. We are teaching them to to do it one way because that was in a safe environment. We were green. We didn't really know any better. This was a way to get us comfortable with the operation. But then the, you're kind of just released, and if you don't have a good training officer or a good senior guy or, or really someone that get you know gives a shit, then you're you're kind of just you know the fault of your own kind of intro into this job. And so, um, like like you said, it was it was really eye opening me uh, for me to start to you know peel back those layers of just, I don't, and I don't want to call it peel back the layers of safety, but the uh, the the layers of redundancy that that weren't really needed because and this is something that that I kind of take with some of some of our guys and just other you know you know my peers you know it, there's going to come a time when we have to throw that ladder and there's going to be a bunch of bushes in front of that and you can't butt that against the building you're going to have to throw it by yourself or with a partner and they're going to have to know that operation too where they can't just put it to and do a beam raise or a rail raise up to the up to the building so I think it's entirely important of what you're what you're talking about. And I think it's a hugely undervalued, but wildly important um, uh, piece of equipment. Um,
1: on yeah. That, yeah on you know, a, a big problem too, is that the training ground very rarely replicates the built environment anyway. Um, some places have better training buildings than others, but typically most of them are just big concrete blocks in the middle of a big parking lot with very little obstructions. And so it's not hard to just teach how to do, um, you know, a flat raise when you butt the, the ladder against the building and now the ladder is perpendicular to the building and then you just go back out to the tip and walk it in and then pull the butt out. But in, in most places, even if it's in a, a, a single family home on a large lot all by itself, just like what you said, there's going to be shrubs in the way, fences in the way, cars in the way, things like that. So very rarely can we set up a ladder perpendicular to the building. Many times we're doing beam races and the, and the ladder is parallel to to the building and then we lay it in when it's raised. You know, it's just, it just doesn't happen that way. And unfortunately, if your department doesn't have a, either A, a good ladder culture or B, at least a decent training program where they take people out into their own environment and, and set up ladders, um, then, then a lot of times we believe that what we learned, however long it was that we took our Fire One, Fire Two or Fire Academy that that's the way to do it you know and it it just doesn't work when you're out in the field um and you know fortunately for ground ladders there's a bunch of good resources online um, about throwing ladders and things like that um brian brush put out some good stuff fire service warrior um brian olson from out in idaho um he's got a good one about high shoulder versus low shoulder um you know the irons and ladders guys from uh colorado springs i think they're, that's where they're out of. but yeah there's a lot of just a lot of good stuff out there you know but you know as the individual you have to go and find it because you're not going to find it in you know your fire two or or whatever your advanced ladder class in, at the fire academy you know unless you have a, a progressive fire academy they're not even going to have that class
0: right and cap so when you have a you know a, a pretty um pretty, a pretty busy department. You have four ladders. It's, they're active. Um, you know, a, a person in your position, um, I know you're on the rescue, but a person in your position, um, with, uh, with, with, with people at the station that, that have experience that, you know, you might not, you know, maybe your, your, your newest member has been on seven, eight years, um, you know, as a captain and it's kind of broadly as an officer in general, uh truck work aside uh or even really encompassing truck work too or the equipment that the truck carries um as a captain when you start to transition um not uh, into trying to do some training with your with 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 your membership wh- what uh what do you find is successful when it comes to um getting your guys to do a training evolution that is either either a, a basic technique or one that you know that they know, but for whatever reason you as the officer have identified it either as a refresher or that. how, how have you found to best communicate those, those operations assuming that you have the time and the call volume is kind of, you know, you know stopped, I guess for the, for that time.
1: Well, you know, I mean, the, the thing too, is like even busy places find time to train, you know, I mean, uh, using, uh, time as an excuse to not be able to train um, is a little frustrating because, you know, you can train in 15 or 20 minutes and and really knock it out of the park um, with your crew, like after a medical call, right? I mean, if you're on an engine and, and if you're not sizing up your stretch, or talking about the stretch after your medical calls. I mean, that's just a criminal as far as I'm concerned, um, because you finally got into that person's house and you say, Hey, okay, kid, if we had a fire on the third floor in that woman's bedroom, you know, and we're parked where we are, how would you get a line there? What would you do and, and go through that progression of sizing up the stretch, you know, for, for, um, ladder work. I mean, we would do it a lot and sometimes I would do it at odd hours and, you know, I'd like to think that my guys appreciated it, but as a supervisor, you know, you don't know if they're doing it cause they're a captive audience or if they actually enjoy it. But, you know, late at night we would come, back and and the training environment at night is different from the training environment during the day so we we pull up on a vacant or pull up on a commercial building that that wasn't in business at the moment and, and throw ladders at 11 o'clock 12 o'clock at night you know because it's dark you know and it, it does change things and you know i think one of the most important things um that i always try to do is just get out of the firehouse when you get out of the firehouse you you take away that whole whatever element that is whether it's a stink or, or, or whatever. Um, and I know all firehouses kind can, can have it. Um, and when you, you get those guys out on their company, whether it's just two of years or three years or four years or whatever, um, it suddenly folks kind of gain a little bit of focus because now they're they're probably wearing their, their firefighter gear and they're on the fire apparatus and and so it's easier then to kind of get a training session focused. And so, you know, to say, hey, let's go throw ladders on that on that vacant that we saw on William Street, or hey, um, B shift had a fire over there the other day. Let's go and check it out. You know, those 10, 15, 20 minute walkthroughs of a burnt building, if you can do it, or throwing ladders on a vacant really allow folks to do things in the wild that mirrors a real environment you know and i think the important thing too is as a supervisor um either i make my plan for my next shift the night of my previous shift like you know after we've had dinner and everything and i reflect on the day hey what do we need to work on i want to work on this or hey i did see that vacant okay so next shift we're going to go over there that way i have a plan firefighters can do that too right? The worst thing to do is just to show up and say, Hey, I want to train today. What do I want to train on? And then before you know it, it's 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, you haven't done anything. And now all people want to do is talk about lunch, right? And so that's one of the things that we do. The other thing too, is that when you do take people out and train, I know some folks like to have very structured trainings to, to, to get a, a specific result. And if, if whatever you're doing, it's that important to have it, that structured, then go ahead and do it. But for me, I think there's much more value when you leave it open-ended because it forces the firefighter to think for themselves, to to troubleshoot for themselves, and to work around situations and obstacles on their own, right? And then you see the creativity of it. They see whether it worked or didn't work. And then the other people around see what somebody else did instead of saying, hey, Bob, put it on that window right now and do a low shoulder carry. I mean, what are you teaching there? you just, it's repetition, Whereas if we say, hey, okay, um, we got a report of people trapped on a second floor, go through ladders, right? There's a big difference there. So now you might have – if everybody wants to grab the 24 and you only have one 24, now the guys are running to the back to be the first one to get to the 24 because they don't want to do the 28 or they don't want to have to try to make the 16 work or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah, and then no, the I other thing too, yep.
1: which is one more thing. One of the most valuable things if you can create this environment is create an environment where it's okay to fail. And, and, and I think there's so much value in that at the end of the, the drill we like to leave on a positive and I don't have a, a problem with that but if we're always drilling to success then we don't equip our folks with the defense mechanism with the 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 eye for making adjustments to taking a failing plan and make it work or to abandon a failing plan and to, to implement a new plan uh, that will be, successful because at three in the morning when things are different it's dark the fire's coming out the window that nobody ever talked about and i need a firefighter to think on their own because i have my own things to do i i can't have them vapor lock because they've they've never done a task this way or they don't know how to do it because they just screw the whole thing up right and so creating an environment where it's okay to fail is good and so that requires trust it requires a level of humility it requires a level of of You know conversations and having fun and and allowing them to talk about those things and so why didn't that work oh it didn't work because of this and that okay well that's cool what'd you do oh instead we came around the other way or i i i butt the ladder up against this instead right and and so that's when you can get your folks to, to train in an environment like that that's when you know you've made it and that's when it really becomes a lot of fun
0: Nick, have you always had at, at your department or the departments that you've served with, have you always had that kind of that, that culture or structure and that vision around uh, training? Or is that just something that you've
1: come in with with, with, with your years of experience? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, I came on in Bridgeport in 1999. So that was, you know, 20 some odd years ago. When I came on, um, the department was still, it was much busier then compared to what it is now, but, you know, the old timers told me, geez, it's really too bad you're coming on now because we're not busy at all, you know, and, and so they did a ton more fire than I ever did, and so um, for better or worse, there wasn't a lot of training going on because they really were doing it, and, and you know, sometimes they did it very well, and sometimes they didn't do it so well but at least they were doing it. Right. And, and I think that's the department of the seventies and the eighties and the early nineties. Now that things are slowing down um, now that a lot of folks that are coming on, don't come from a trade, you know, I didn't come from a trade either. I mean, I worked with my father doing chores around the house, fixing stuff and, and whatnot, but a lot of folks that are coming on today, they, you know, and it's just the way I think, at least the Northeast is there's not a lot of manufacturing anymore. There's not a lot of opportunities for folks to use their hands. So um, if we don't train, um, then a lot of these folks really wouldn't get the mechanics down just to be baseline operators. So in the past, when a guy came on and oh, I've been painting houses for 15 years, they can throw a ladder like nobody's business. So I don't have to teach them how to throw a ladder. If anything, they're going to show me a couple things. Right. But it wouldn't be a thing that we would dwell on now. Folks aren't painters. Folks aren't roofers, and so they're they're not used to to ground ladders and things like that. So um, we've just kind of seen that you know as our call our our work volume has gone down because our call volume has actually gone up with just so many other things, but but our actual work volume is going down. It's important to make sure that um, we keep people engaged and and we do work on those things. So that's really been my my approach to it.
0: Yeah, and I've and I've experienced both. Uh, both polar opposites of, of what you were talking about and how I, I I've, I've had my own personal complaints or been or, or have fielded those complaints I've had the trainings where the officer gets there and they they show up and they look at the group it's like 10 o'clock and they're like all right what do you want to train on and everyone else is like fucking nothing I want to go to lunch you know it, it's right. it, it, we, yeah. we're, we're in like the 10 30 11 o'clock cooldown and lead up to lunch we take after you know at, or or the other side of it, the complete, you know, the, the pendulum swings and it's, um, you know, and kind of the, the overbearing officer that is, is very, very. And, and I, 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 I get where they're coming from. They, they want to see it done right the way they were taught, but a lot of it is uh, uh, flirting, probably more so on that boundary of, of, of micromanaging and doing it to. I think the level of, of of idealistic nature that he wanted, but the 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 kind of the the the, the overseeing of it was a little um, too in your face, a little too too aggressive. But right. um, so so I can definitely you know definitely uh, you know attest that 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 center balance point of of allowing topic you know setting a structure, setting a topic, but allowing that freedom to fail. And I think there's so many, you know, we have so many like-minded personalities here. You know, you, you guys have, you know, you, 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 on Bridgeport. You guys have guys that have the same probably personality and temperament craziness level that, that, that my guys have that guys, you know, uh, on, you know, on Reno has right. And to set that environment up for failure on the, on the drill ground, I think, For a lot of us, will maybe even create this like obsessive nature of like, how did I fail? What happened? And then they might become so, I guess, invested in why they failed that they're gonna work to correct it. Um, So maybe on the next time, and it would might even spiral into something that that brings them to a whole different training topic where they come back and say, Hey, listen, I thought about this a hundred different times. Either you know, I'm not getting it. I'm an idiot. Or, or I can't. Or, or, or hopefully, dude, I nailed it. I think I got this down. Let me show it to you again. Or, what do you think here? Um, one of the things that I've taken away just in in the the the, the personnel that that I serve with uh, is how not only important it is um, to them, which I think is probably the most important part globally. But how how important it is that the officer that's running a training has some degree of involvement in that training. Um, And I want to get your take on that because I've I've heard, you know, we don't want to overbearing natures of the officers, but I think it it makes the buy-in of membership so much greater when those officers that come up with the training and get involved are actually involved with the training And participate, they might not have the you know the ability in terms of what they're responsible for overseeing or 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 witnessing to maybe get on the ground level grinding that maybe some of the other guys are going through. But how like is it what's your thought on that? You know, is is do you feel it's important for that officer to also have that involvement in those training evolutions?
1: Well, I do. I I think there's a ton of value there because it gives buy-in, it gives that humility. Um, and it shows a level of competence and also confidence, because if, you know, I'm doing a drill and I'm just sitting there with my arms crossed, I'm not even in my turnout gear and I'm telling everybody how to do everything. And, you know, maybe you're trying to develop that ground ladder culture. And this is one of the earlier evolutions. And I'm just sitting there, you know, preaching about do this, do that. You're doing it wrong or that's not how it's done, you know there's there's not a lot of buy-in from the other folks but if i show hey this is how you know you know we're going to practice throwing the the 24 as a single firefighter and 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 so you know i'm not the biggest person i'm not the strongest person but with you know proper mechanics and body bi- positioning i can show smaller people or i can show people that have a bad shoulder you know this is how i've kind of worked around it And it's worked out well for me. And then, geez, maybe I get it stuck in a tree limb or something. And then I have to kind of like jockey a little bit and then get it down. It shows that, you know, it's okay to, to not be perfect. And and I think that's also part of the problem is in this JPR culture that we have, you know, it seems like we're, we're driven towards doing it. Perfect. Right. And I don't, I don't need it to be perfect. I need it to be right and safe, you know, and there's value in that. And, and, um, you know, so if you're trying to get folks to buy in, it certainly does help that the supervisor is doing it. Now, there may be times where it's not appropriate for the supervisor or not necessary for the supervisor to do it. One is if you've already got your crew to the point where everybody has an understanding that you actually know what you're doing and you're not just a hacker on your mouth, right? Then that certainly helps. Um, you know, but then sometimes if if I need it, like you, you talked about the micromanaging i um, not a big fan of micromanaging. However, if I need it done a particular way, either because of policy or because of compliance, then, you know, we have to do it that way. I know your way worked out really cool and that's really great. But on the training ground, we have to do it this way. If you want to do it that way at three in the morning, fine, because then we can talk about it after, but the reality is on the training ground for this specific reason, this is why we have to do it this way today.
0: Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so Nick, I, I appreciate the time um, that that you've given us. We're at an hour right now. Um, in my mind, an hour well spent. Um, Nick, just kind of as as you know, I, we kind of we, we close this out. If if you yourself were looking to gain more information, either about just training, um, training in general, ladder work, um, you know, if you're, you know, you said you're sitting down at the station at the end of the day trying to reflect on a training that you want to roll out the next day where's, you know, where, where do you go to, to, to find your resources for training? You know, who either, who in the fire service do you kind of admire or look up to, or kind of seek out for training ideas, or what's your, um, your avenue to try to get those ideas going?
1: Well, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of things out there um, that I think have a ton of value. I mean, one is, you know, you really should get out and read and, and don't necessarily read just, um you know and if it's the book or whatever but you know read things of, of people like you know the readings of andy fredericks the writings of andy fredericks great i think the the a balance to that for truck work um in my opinion is tom brennan's random thoughts um he speaks to a lot of different things in his his book there it's really a compilation he used to be the editor of fire engineering magazine um and so they compile all of his editorials um a lot of the stuff that I teach for my my truck class comes from the things that I learned from my father, that I learned from my driver, my Candela, and um, the things that I learned from that Random Thoughts book. Because even though it's now somewhat dated, it's still all very relevant. Um, there are some really good folks out there grinding every day, and, and some are, are a little bit more under the radar than others. Um, I think for the engine work, like what's really cool now is all these guys with their nozzles and their hose and they're, they're getting their packages all matched out and everything. Um, but folks are, are, are getting these log books and they're doing their, their stretches. So guys like Gary Lane, Adam Mayers, uh, Brian Brush, big fan of, um, Brian Olson from out west, Cody Trail and his whole group's uh, brothers in battle. Um, there's a lot of folks out there doing things every day that um, really are reflecting the direction that I think the fire service wants to go um it's really um, a lot of information out there to be gotten uh Bobby Eckert out of Camden uh Brian Butler out of Trenton both uh New Jersey there just a lot of good stuff there's guys out of New York City that are doing some really good things um and then there's smaller guys um that are doing good stuff I mean I think your resource is great I just listened to the interview that you had with um Anderson the other day and and that was a home run I, I got a lot out of it that was really good Um, there's a Ryan Johnston up in uh, in Maine and he's doing a lot of good things for uh, lower manning uh, companies and things like that. So um, there's, there's certainly a lot of people out there just grinding away um, at, at that smaller level. So they're not necessarily your big names, but they're out there.
0: And, and I I can't tell you how much respect I have um, for Gary Lane. I heard him on a podcast um, really kind of recant, his journey into the fire service, and it was like he took the same the, the same pushback and everything he gotten um, on his um, uh, uh, tenure, and it, it it was just such a, a parallel to me. And then that I think, kind of stumbling upon Gary, and then how he compiled Andy, and then the with Cody and brothers in battle, how that kind of um, for me just kind of took me into this cauldron of uh, people that, that you said are just grinding all the time on some really great, um, great material. Um, and Nick, uh, so you say that your father uh, was on the job. Uh, so uh, you a second generation fireman?
1: So he was, he wasn't a uh, career as volunteer. So where I grew up uh, in that town of Herplank, Um he, he, um, he was very influential in, in building that aerial culture off of that snorkel, a uh, very odd, unique piece of equipment but he worked for the power company and so he was used to working with bucket trucks and articulating booms so a lot of his understanding of not only the apparatus but of electricity really kind of allowed me to get a a better respect for for both as a hazard but also how to maximize uh, your operations around wires and then with with a truck that wasn't necessarily the most um you know was the easiest thing to use necessarily. So that's really where that came from. He was a volunteer. So yeah, I, I call myself second generation because he really um, set the tone for me and, and I got a lot from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to take us out, well, if you could, there, there's probably a billion pieces of, of information that, that come to mind that, that are influential from him. Um, what's What's one of the first that come to mind uh, no, I'm not saying like the best or the the number one, because I don't think any son can really prioritize the best piece of advice they get from their father. But, um, you know, what's the if you were to say, what's a piece of information that comes to your mind right now that is still useful in your job today that you were taught by him?
1: Well, I think a couple of things that he um didn't necessarily make as a declaration, but just by the way that he lived his life really kind of set a good example for me to see, even though I, I didn't really realize I was seeing it until I got older, was um, always be true to yourself about your true abilities um, and your true level of understanding of something. So don't, don't uh, get out of your lane. Don't teach over your head. Don't do things. Don't wing it. Make sure you have a good understanding of it. More importantly, if you don't understand it, go and find out. Okay. And then the other thing was, um, don't believe something just because somebody said it. Because a lot of times, um, the the shiniest, the brightest, the most popular thing, often is flawed, and it really isn't. It's more of a distraction than uh, a guidepost towards the way. And so a lot of times, you know, there is no hack. There's no easy way. Uh, the only way to do it is just to do it. And if you think that somebody's got some whiz bang idea that's going to suddenly make things easier or better or faster, more than likely that thing is not going to work for you when you need it. So stay true to yourself, you know, be in the cause and, and really, you know, be an observer and a student of whatever you're trying to do. And, um, just because you get somewhere, the, the goal isn't to get there. You'll realize that the, the, the true value of, of achieving whatever you were achieving was by working through the way, you know, those kind of things is really what I kind of got from my dad.
0: We're going to end it with that. Captain Nick Esposito with Bridgeport Fire. Uh, Nick, thank you so much again for your time. This was uh, a little over an hour well spent. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I want you to have a great day and best of luck to, and uh, best of safety and uh, keep, keep uh, being aggressive and offensive over there in Bridgeport.
1: Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time.
0: Awesome, Nick. Have a great day, man.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, thank you so much to uh, Nick for coming on and talking with us. The guy's a phenomenal resource, a phenomenal officer. Um, the fire service, uh, our whole industry is better with him in it. Uh, please follow him, truck underscore tactics uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I don't know. This week, I don't know, do something that's going to challenge yourself. Two options. You got two options. one, either do something that's going to challenge yourself or you're going to do something that's going to make someone else better. I mean that's what we should be doing every single damn day, but I don't know, life gets in the way and we make it, we make some uh, bullshit excuses on that. But make it a point this week. Do something to challenge yourself. If you think that that I don't know, you can't run more than 2 miles run 3 or if you know that someone is struggling on your job or in your family Reach out to them. Be someone that, that uh, they didn't think uh, that you were listening. Be someone that uh, they can lean on for help. Um, either way, either either road you pick is going to lead back to great things for you. It's going to put good karma in the universe. Um, that's it. So until next time, hope you keep listening. Ho- you know, you'll, you'll have hopefully less of me and more people I find. Give me some feedback. Throw a like on there. I don't know. Throw me a, an Instagram message or something. All right. Have a good one.